It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Am I Listening to the Angel? Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host, for over 20 years. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Luke 2, verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Coming up in today's episode, when we think about Christmas as Christians, we naturally think about the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's so inspiring. However, the big question for us is... Have we paid close attention to the messages that the angels gave us regarding his birth? So many messages, so much truth. Christmas is such a great time of year. It gives people something to look forward to, something to be excited about. Decorations spring up and brighten our environment. We, we love giving gifts and certainly love receiving them. Most of us get extra time off to be with family or just to be able to do things. It is such a great time of year. The sad thing is, the foundational reason behind this great time of year has become less and less relevant. All of this giving and goodwill stems from recognizing and honoring the birth of the most influential and heroic human being in all of world history. When Jesus was born, the world began to change. For most people, that change has been imperceptible for the last 2,000 years, but it is happening. How do we know? Well, we know because an angel told us. The question is, did you hear what he said? Here's the angelic proclamation that signaled the change of everything. Jonathan, let's go to Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. While this proclamation gives us a broad stroke picture of God's plan being carried out through Jesus, there were many other angelic proclamations to fill in the details. Today, today we'll walk through several of these to better understand the world-changing power that Jesus' birth began. Jesus' birth and life were prophesied in surprising detail long before he came. Even more amazing is that prophecy also held the promise of one whose role it would be to make the Messiah plain to all of Israel. So when we look at the final words of the Old Testament, we see that they lay out this prophecy. And this, this is really significant. Jonathan, let's go to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. 
Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Well, 400 years later, this prophecy is ready to be fulfilled as there would be the coming of the one who would prepare the people for Messiah, one who would do the work of Elijah. This man would pave the way for hope for Jesus. Zacharias and Elizabeth were chosen to be the parents of John the Baptist. The two of them were very faithful, and the scripture says that they were righteous in the sight of God. Now, Zacharias served the people as a priest of God, and yet, in spite of their faithfulness, his wife was ever childless. Though they prayed as they grew older, their hopes for children would have grown faint. But in spite of such disappointment, they went on with their lives, humbly serving their God. One day, the providence of God suddenly became manifest while Zacharias was serving in the temple. We go to Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. So let's get the picture. He's inside doing what he's supposed to do. Zacharias was doing the job that God had providentially arranged for him to do. He was serving alone in the temple. And the people, well, the people were outside in prayer until he should emerge once the job was complete. There's some interesting commentary that helps us to understand this a little further. Jonathan, let's go to Abbott's Illustrated New Testament on this. Burning the incense in the temple was a duty of the highest interest and solemnity. The number of priests was so large that the falling of the lot to any individual was an important event in his life. He was to go along into one of the most magnificent apartments in the world, and one which was connected in the mind of every Jew with associations of the deepest religious veneration and awe. There he was to perform a most solemn ceremony, to burn incense in the very antechamber and almost in the presence of Jehovah, while thousands were waiting without in silence and solemnity. Thus, this first announcement of the approach of Messiah was made. Well, Rick, what were the people thinking uh, when he was in there so long? Where is he? Why hasn't he come out? Did, did he do something wrong? Yeah, is he still okay? Because they're waiting for him. And that's the thing. They're waiting for this solemn, important ceremony to end. And he's, he's delayed in coming out because something else is going on in there. Zacharias needed to be able to hear what God was about to reveal. So God sends his angel, his messenger, to Zacharias while he was serving God in the sacredness and the quiet in this holy place. Luke 1, 11 to 13. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, 
for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Man, so much information and power in so few words. Don't fear. Your prayers were heard. You'll have a son. His name will be John. This, this, is, this is something that, that's pretty miraculous. The scripture continues, Luke 1, 14 through 17. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who go, will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, this was God's providence revealed to a humble servant of God. Zacharias was to have a direct role in the fulfillment of prophecy. How hard it would have been to absorb such news. How hard it would have been to believe that prophetic fulfillment, fulfillment was going to work through you and your wife. How hard it would have been to go home and tell your wife. I mean, think about it. You go home, what's new, dear? Oh, nothing. We're just involved in direct fulfillment of God's prophecies. But, you know, normal day. <laughs> but, of course, <laughs> that's not quite what happened here, as we will see. First of all, God's messengers don't just randomly visit people and chat. They only come on errands directly from the Father himself. When they appeared, they needed the attention of those to whom they spoke. This news was so overwhelming that Zacharias doubted. Luke 1, 18-20. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Well, we can see why Zacharias had doubt, because he and his wife Elizabeth were old. But there's divine intervention here going on right before him. Hello. Yeah, Come on, I'm, Zacharias, wake up. <laughs> it is. It, it, it is. It was an incredible wake-up call that was completely under, uh, unexpected. And so here's what happened. He He's now unable to speak. That's what the, the angel Gabriel said to him. You can't speak. His new inability to speak would create a poignant reminder of God's providence and will. He would now have to navigate his life on a deeper level of faith and trust as this inability, this inability to speak, would be a constant reminder of God's power, God's providence, and God's prophecies. Let's continue with Luke 1, 21 to 23. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. So, well, just because Zacharias couldn't speak didn't deter him from fulfilling his temple duties. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because, it, you know, it strikes you that after that, he didn't go right home. He had to f finish the 
course of his priestly duties. So he couldn't even go tell his wife right away. He had to stay there, unable to speak, but he stayed with it. When you think about it, God's providence in our lives is a direct proof of his power in our lives. In the case of Elizabeth and Zacharias, this blessed power in their faithful lives was necessary for the good of the people and most importantly, for the bringing of the Messiah. It's a humbling experience to see this power manifest in your life. Elizabeth's reaction to all of this shows her humility and her fierce obedience and gratitude. Luke 1, 24 and 25. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Commentary by John Lightfoot tells us, She hid herself because the Lord had dealt so with her till he had taken away her reproach, and that's reproach in the eyes of the people, giving her so remarkable a son, one who was to be so strict in a Nazarite and so famous a prophet, lest therefore she should anyway defile herself by going up and down, thereby contract any uncleanness upon the Nazarite in her womb, she withdraws and sequesters herself from all common conversation. So she pulls herself away from all of the rest of the world in this respect, perhaps, to this Nazarite uh, uh, approach to life that the angel told her husband their son would have. So while God's prophecies are a guarantee of the future for all, his providence can be a specific gift for individuals. Both prophecy and providence were handed to Zacharias and Elizabeth after a 400-year period of God's silence to Israel. Gabriel, the angel, spoke, and his words enlightened and blessed Zacharias and Elizabeth. This would eventually reignite hope among the people and gave Israel the opportunity to prepare for their coming Messiah. And you think about how long they existed without hope. And the hope came in the holy place in a conversation between an angel of God and a humble servant. That's how the hope of the entire New Testament began. So, Jonathan, when an angel speaks, who listens? God sent Gabriel to Zacharias with a potent message of change, hope, and prophecy fulfilled. The magnitude of this message rendered its recipient speechless, but not actionless. Zacharias and Elizabeth embraced the message, its privilege, and its responsibility, and thereby became tools in God's hand. Am I listening to what the angel said? Am I willing to act in accordance with the call to walk with a higher level of loyalty to my Lord? Good questions. Am I listening? It's amazingly difficult to wrap our heads around the gift and responsibility that Zacharias and Elizabeth were given. This first angelic guidance was just the beginning. How would Gabriel's next and even more dramatic message be received? We can't stress enough that angelic visits in biblical times were rare, but when they did occur, they were massively important. Gabriel had just informed the childless Zacharias and Elizabeth that they would have a child 
who would fulfill prophecy. This was God's way of giving assurance to his faithful ones that his will was being done in their lives. This was God's way of helping them realize the power, the powerful privilege they had been given. God commissioned the angel Gabriel with more to say. After informing a couple who were old and barren that they would have a child, Gabriel's next message would be delivered to one in an entirely opposite circumstance. He would now speak to a young, unmarried woman and inform her of a most unlikely pregnancy. We really don't know anything about Mary before her angelic visit, except that she was a faithful, God-fearing Jewish girl. The depth of her faith can be understood by her response to the angel's message. Mary would grow to understand the providence of God as she would grow to understand the power of the prophecies of God as well. This next verse in Luke picks right up after Elizabeth's five-month seclusion. Luke 1, 26 through 29. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, what kind of salutation this was. Wow, talk about an unexpected greeting. How do you process something like that? I know, you're going about your, 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 just your daily business and this incredibly life-changing privilege and responsibility is just put in front of you completely unexpected. You know, and that's favor. But with the privilege of being a favored one, comes the challenge, discomfort, and even fear for standing up as a chosen vessel of the will of God, because that's never an easy task. And for Mary, the privilege of favor would demand powerful faith and trust and would require all of her dedication. Luke 1, 30-34. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Well, let me pause here. Gabriel repeats that she is favored of God. What a powerful preparation for her coming experiences and responsibilities. Continuing with verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Boy, we went from unexpected greeting to impossibility. For Mary, great privilege, great privilege came at great cost. Are we listening to the angel? Can we pause and consider this prophecy Gabriel is giving? David's throne was an earthly throne. And this kingdom, this kingdom would be an earthly kingdom. The Messiah was sent to restore what was lost. What was lost? Perfection on the earth before sin entered in. See Acts 3, 19 through 21. The greatest privilege of Mary's life would begin 
with the greatest challenge of her life. She would become miraculously pregnant, an entirely unexplainable event. And this would happen before being married, an entirely scandalous event. No wonder the angel assured her twice and cited the prophetic significance of King David's throne and an everlasting kingdom. Rick, let's read what happened. Luke 1, 35-38. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Well, let's pause here. She must have been thinking, could this be the Messiah? Now, listen to what the angel said in one little message. One, you will miraculously conceive even though you're not married. Two, your son will be called the Son of God. Three, he will hold the throne of David. And four, his kingdom will last forever. That's a lot going on. That's a lot going on in this one message. And now the message takes a slightly different direction. So Jonathan, let's go to Luke 1, uh, verses 36 and 37. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Well, the news of Elizabeth being six months pregnant would have been both shocking and revealing. This showed Mary that God truly was in all of these events, and she and Elizabeth were both most privileged. They were, and it just gave her a sense of relief to say, okay, somebody I know is in a really unusual, blessed situation as well. So let's continue with verse uh, 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Such privilege changed Mary, for it showed her how to see and believe the impossible. Privilege gave her life a laser focus, and it made her an unmistakable part of the greatest story ever told. God's gift of privilege within his providence will elevate a life from average and ordinary to usability and pliable in God's hands. Mary, against all human logic, accepted being pliable in the hands of God and fulfilled her role with humility and faithfulness. Let's look at what Mary did soon after being given such honor. There was a practicality that needed to be solved with this miracle, but God had that all well in hand, and we'll touch on that in the next segment. For now, let's follow what Mary did soon after her encounter with the angel Gabriel. Let's go to Luke 1, 39 to 42. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Notice it does not say she stayed at home until there would be physical evidence of her pregnancy. There was no hesitation, and she acted in full assurance of faith in which she had been told. Mary listened to and believed the angel and did not pause. She just acted 
on what she was told. Let's go back to verse 41 and 42. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Well, remember, the baby John also was filled with God's Spirit in his mother's womb. No wonder he leaped inside her. His Messiah was just inches away uh, when the mothers were hugging. Now, Elizabeth had also listened to and believed the angel who spoke to her husband, and upon hearing Mary's voice, knew exactly what was happening. So you get this picture, and all of these pieces of doubt and wonder are now coming together. She knew that her baby, who would be named John, this is Elizabeth now, she knew that her baby would be named John, would plow the road for Mary's baby Jesus, would make way for him, because he would be the one to save the world. Elizabeth's humility was profound. Luke 1, 43 through 45. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. See, Elizabeth again reassures Mary that her faith in God's plan for her would yield the fruitage of all, of all that Gabriel had spoken. With Elizabeth's example of living at a high standard, her piety would rub off on Mary as she mentored her. And, you know, there's something very special about having this older woman going through these things and this very young woman going through these things and and having the two being able to be joined together. And you see the maturity and the mentoring on Elizabeth's part for Mary's sake. Mary's response to all of this was one of faith, humility, and praise. First, she recognizes her own honored position, and that's in Luke 1, 46 to 49. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now second, Mary recognizes the power of God's mercy upon all men, especially upon Israel as a nation. And this is in Luke 1, 50 to 55. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Well, no wonder Mary was selected by God. She brings praise, honor, and glory to him for all he has done and what he will do forever. And again, she's a very young woman, and she has this presence to be able to honor God in such a broad way. See, these two blessed women who were visited by the angel for for Elizabeth, it was Zacharias who was visited, but Mary specifically, they were visited by the angel Gabriel. They were there to encourage each other 
right until about the time that John was born. Let's read Luke 1, 56. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Rick, I know the scriptures don't say this, but I think Mary watched the birth of John before she left Elizabeth. By the time she left, Mary's pregnancy was beginning to show. So that would open up a whole different set of circumstances, but she gained such strength by being with Elizabeth, who was older and more mature, as they both honored and praised God for their difficult and miraculous experiences. So when we look at their experiences, when an angel speaks, who listens? God sent Gabriel a second time to deliver the most important and timely message of those days, this time to Mary. This young, unmarried woman heard, accepted, and respond to the challenges and blessings the angels brought to her. She heard his grand message with both her heart and her mind. She then immediately took action based on her faith in that message. Am I listening to what the angel said with my heart, mind, and actions? Are we doing what Elizabeth and Mary did in their life experiences? These two faithful women were beacons of light when it came to listening and responding to God's direction. First was Zacharias and then Mary. Joseph would be next to hear angelic instruction. How would he respond? It's important to realize the differences in each of these angelic visits. Zacharias was performing a sacred service to God when Gabriel appeared with the news and the instructions. Mary was simply being her young, faithful self when Gabriel appeared to her. You know, Rick, now Joseph, he was an entirely different position. He had to deal with his espoused being pregnant, which in those days in the Jewish culture was a major disgrace. It was, and it would have been very, very difficult. So now we come to it. God saw fit to, according to prophecy, have a virgin conceive, and he chose the young woman Mary. She was a truly faithful worshiper of God, and she was betrothed to an older man by the name of Joseph. God sent his messenger Gabriel to tell this young woman that she would miraculously conceive, and it would be before she's married. Mary Mary humbly accepted this unique favor from God and had to somehow inform Joseph, her husband-to-be. This may well have been after Mary went to visit Elizabeth. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So it says she was found to be with child, and it gives us a sense that, okay, that's when you have the, the, the idea that, okay, something happened here, and it's, again, three months after the angel Gabriel came. For Joseph... This would have been completely unexpected, unique, and horrifying dilemma. What should he do? He could have exercised his right to have Mary sent away in public shame, but, as we will see, Joseph was stronger than that. Matthew 1, 19. And Joseph, her betrothed husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. 
The fact that Joseph did not seek to make her a public target for disgrace helps us see his character. And that's an amazing thing. The character of Joseph comes out in all these little ways that you have to look for. But boy, when you see it, it's like, wow, there's really something here. This would be an extraordinary and life-changing decision that had been laid out before him. So he needed to think this through carefully. Again, this shows us his compassion and his wisdom. Matthew 1, verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Well, the angel began by addressing Joseph as a son of David and then eased his fear. Sound familiar? It does. It sounds very familiar. So when we look at this, uh, we realize that the angel's reassurance of Joseph uh, was certainly in harmony with Mary's claim, but it was still very confusing. She's a young woman, and this is a confusing message for her to see. The angel continued, Matthew 1, 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Once again, we see an angel, a messenger of God, delivering important information that has a solid basis in prophecy. And this is not just any prophecy. It described the coming of their long-awaited Messiah. It was not some wildly contrived explanation. Mary, his espoused, was carrying the Savior of all. And he, he, Joseph, would have the opportunity and privilege to raise this Savior to manhood. Glory to God in the highest. There is something very powerful in the prophecy from Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. It reads, Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will be called he will be called Emmanuel. Now, how was Joseph addressed in Matthew 1.20? Joseph, son of David. He was told, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph, listen to the angel. He is saying, you are a part of the prophecy in Isaiah. Remember, this baby will be called Emmanuel. And this is all happening in this dream of Joseph's. Let's go to Matthew 1.25 but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph's account shows us how a fear of the impossible can, by the grace and overruling power of God, be turned into faith that sees through the impossible. Joseph believed the angel, and he acted on that belief. He would be a godly man and protect his family in the face of sure misunderstanding and persecution. Joseph took the reins given him by God and forged ahead with courageous, courageous humility. Joseph's experience with angels did not stop here. For the next few minutes, let's jump ahead in the story and track the strength, faith, and leadership of Joseph 
as he continually followed angelic leading. These instructions enabled him to best save and protect his baby son, the baby boy who would become the future savior and protector of the world. All right, so traditional depictions of the, of the nativity, of, of the birth of Jesus, show that the three wise men were there in the stable with Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and the animals. Actually, the three wise men came around to Bethlehem much later, and the scriptures say that they found Jesus and his family in a house, and it was there that they worshipped him and gave him gifts. The Magi's visit was also a trigger for Herod, who was going to have nothing to do with any Savior being born and raised in his jurisdiction. So this meant danger would be on the horizon. So let's go to Matthew 2, 13. Now when they, the Magi, had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Joseph listened to and believed the angel. All the angel had to do was tell Joseph the what, the where, and the why, and Joseph's response was immediate and complete. Keep in mind that they, did not, they had not been living at home, but in Bethlehem since Jesus' birth, and were being instructed for a second time to relocate this time to another country. So now they have to move again. God's faith in Joseph was well-placed because he again courageously walked his family into the unknown. God had also provided the gifts of the Magi as a way for them to sustain themselves while in Egypt. So God provided, and so did Joseph. This helps us to clearly see how Joseph was the leader of his family and had mastered the art of following God's will and direction. It's safe to assume that Joseph would be content to stay in that foreign land of Egypt until he had been otherwise instructed. For to move without instruction would have been to run ahead of God, and Joseph knew better than that. Soon enough, Joseph received his directions, Matthew 2, 19-21. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Joseph listened to and believed the angel again, it was time to relocate to lead his family through another series of steps for their protection and well-being. Remember, the world then wasn't the way it is now. There was no 24-hour news for him to check. No one texted him that Herod had died and all is well. He was going back into Israel on just the word of the angel. So, and you can see, Joseph is continually listening to, believing, and acting on what the angel tells him in his dreams. Joseph most likely was going to head back to Bethlehem, but as he drew closer and discovered the current political landscape, his fatherly instincts caused him great concern. And this brings us to Matthew 2, verses 22 and 23. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He, he shall be called a Nazarene. Joseph listened to and believed the angel. He was again guided by God, and again he changed course and finally came to settle in Nazareth. So this is a glimpse of Joseph. Now, other than a brief mention of Joseph when Jesus was 12 and left behind in Jerusalem, this is pretty much all we know about Joseph, but all we know about him teaches us profound lessons. Something else we know is that he had other children with Mary, and he was a carpenter. So think about it. God's plan is a plan of hope. For that hope to be sure, it must be built upon the firm foundation of prophecy, but it also must be built with the sturdy and enduring materials of godly character in those who would carry it out. Joseph is showing this, us this. So, so, Jonathan, when an angel speaks, who listens? Oh, I know, I know. It's Joseph. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he listened to and believed the angel many times. Now, we know that Jesus' character was thoroughly competent and pure, but we don't often think about the strength of character necessary for his supporting cast. Joseph was chosen as a critical example and support for the young and tender Jesus. He was a strong man, courageous in his decisions, daring in his actions, and most importantly, humble in his obedience to God's will. Joseph listened. Am I listening to what the angel said with my heart, mind, and actions? So the, the, the big difference in Joseph listening versus the other things, is Joseph heard the angel speak to him in these dreams. He didn't have this vision. It's very specific that he had dreams. So, you know, you have a—it's almost a step further that requires a little bit more faith. But Joseph was in tune with all of those things. That's, that's one of the most powerful things here. The other thing that's most powerful is that think about—Jonathan, you're a dad. Yes. I'm a dad. You've got this little baby boy that you are now their primary example to grow up into a mature man. Joseph would have that responsibility and that privilege with the Savior of the world. What an amazing thing. And how attuned Joseph was to God's will to be able to fill those massively incredible shoes. So, Joseph seemed to be an unsung hero of listening to the angel. His role was to protect the child Jesus, and God showed him how. Zacharias, Mary, and Joseph all listened to angels before Jesus was born. Who heard angels after his birth? Well, there's more. Finally, we get back to the scriptures that we began with. Our journey back to these scriptures has taught us some really valuable lessons. God's will sometimes unfolds in unexpected ways. In biblical times, when he wanted unfaltering response, he sent an undeniable messenger for enlightenment. While God does not do that kind of thing any longer, we can still listen to those angels from ancient times. And we, we just want to be clear that we, we understand. If you think you're listening to an angel, you think an angel is talking to you, it's not. It's not scriptural, and we need to reassess where we're getting such information. 
Sometimes when there is a world-changing event in God's plan, there are those who get to observe and participate by virtue of being in the right place at the right time. The humble shepherds who were out tending their sheep that night in Bethlehem would be given this distinct gift. Luke 2, 1-7 Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, this journey that they were on is said to be about 90 miles by way of the winding roads of that day. Traveling at the speed of donkey, which isn't very fast, this meant (laughs) it would probably take about five days or so. It would have been a grueling trip, especially for a woman who's ready to give birth. Once again, Joseph is taking the lead as they travel to the city of his ancestors to pay their taxes. Verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You think about this. The birth of Jesus, it began as a a very private event. Only Mary and Joseph were there with a, with a stable full of animals. The Savior of the world is born and seemingly no one knew about it. For Joseph and Mary, this may have been a preferred circumstance. After all, they're now going to have to nurture, raise, and protect this precious baby who would eventually save the world. This kind of responsibility makes you want to pause and think. It's like a sila moment. It is. It's it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, wow, the magnitude of what is put upon our shoulders is just almost too big to comprehend. What are we supposed to do with this? So they're sitting there and, and they've got this quiet time before the influx of what the life of Jesus would naturally bring, attention and all kinds of other things. God's providence did give them some time, but also designed it so. Word of this world-changing event could get out in a most unorthodox way. Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. So, hope was about to be revealed. And that revealment would bring rejoicing. When you think about it, true rejoicing in something works best with those who are sincere, who who work hard and, and have relatively simple lives, because those are the kinds of people that can really appreciate something out of the ordinary. It's, it, they have a sense of value. Well, these shepherds were simple, hardworking people. They were chosen to be witness and then proclaim this announcement for the ages of the birth of the Messiah. Think about that. Shepherds were chosen for this rejoicing message. Luke 2, 9 to 11. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well, think about the angelic perspective. They saw Lucifer fall from heaven to bring sin and all its misery to humanity. For thousands of years, they have seen its awful effects, war, disease, and death. But on this day, this day, God has given them hope and a final solution to eradicate sin by the gift of his only begotten son, Jesus. Are we listening to the angel? I mean, this is an angelic proclamation that is just powerful. Already the message, it's overwhelming. An angel, a glorious appearance, and a prophecy fulfilled. Now the angel gets practical. Luke 2, 12 through 14. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. Singing in heaven, the heavens, praising God in a way that had never been seen before? What a privilege to see! What a privilege to hear. Now, there are actually seven points described here. One, fear not. God is a God of love and not a God of torment. Two, good news, the original gospel. Three, great joy, what hope. Four, all people. Who's left out? No one. Good news for everyone who has ever lived. Five, a Savior. Messiah, the Son of God, became a perfect man. Six, glory to God in the highest. He deserves our praise for this amazing plan. Seven, on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The future peaceable kingdom on earth with Jesus as the king. Are we listening to the angel? There is so much here. So much in the previous angelic messages, folks. Are we taking the time to stop and consider and listen and then act upon what we're hearing? We're seeing a broad picture of God's plan on every level, providence and prophecy and miracles. It's all happening to show us what Jesus came for. Let's continue with Luke two fifteen. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to, unto us. So these shepherds, they, they simply and joyfully, enthusiastically responded to this message for the hope that they had seen was powerful, it was of divine origin, and therefore it was sure. They were given a gift. They were given a gift of such magnitude that they had to witness to it in person. They listened to the angel, Luke two sixteen through 18. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph 
with a babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that had heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, you wonder about shepherds and be, being, being uh, social type people. You'd think that they aren't. They're, they're, they're spending all their time with sheep away from everybody. But these shepherds courageously set out to deliver the good news that they had seen because their rejoicing was so big and so strong and so powerful and so clear it could not be contained. Let's take a minute and put this all together. Humble shepherds were sent to verify everything the angels told Mary and Joseph. Why shepherds? King David was a shepherd on these same hills around the city of David. What would Jesus become? The great shepherd. Only God could have given us all these beautiful connections. So you put this story together, this account of the birth of Jesus and the things surrounding it, and you got to take a breath and say, there is something miraculous, something powerful, something godly, something spiritual, all happening here all at once. There's just so many pieces now, don't forget Mary. Mary is that young lady who's in the middle of all of this. Here's how this affects Mary. Luke 2, 19 to 20. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So these lowly men, these shepherds were given a glimpse of God's glorious plan. And their simple response, their simple response was, let everyone know. Are we listening to the angel and all that followed? I have to ask ourselves that question because there's so much here in these accounts. So let's change the focus for a moment. We've been talking about listening to the angel, okay, and how important it is. And we've got all these examples. Let's ask a different question. Are we listening to John the Baptist, because 30 years later, he confirmed what the angel said in John 1, 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist absolutely confirmed everything the angel had said. Are we listening? Well, Rick, how about this? Are we listening to Jesus' own words? He fulfilled what the angel said. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus fulfilled what the angel said. So when you ask the question, are we listening to the angel? It means a whole lot more. We've got John the Baptist. We've got Jesus' own words. And Jonathan, how about this? Are we listening to Old Testament prophecies? Because they are in exact harmony with what the angel said. Let's look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So way back in that particular prophecy, 
and many, many, many other Old Testament prophecies. What do we have? Prophecies, words, predictions that absolutely are in exact harmony with what the angel said. Oh, yeah? I've got another one, Rick. All right. Are we really listening to New Testament prophecies? They accurately uh, say what the angel said. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, neither crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So you have the New Testament prophecies that talk about, and in Revelation it's pretty straightforward, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Why those things are passed away? Why? Because Jesus came and paid the price. So when we ask this question, am I listening to the angel, what we're saying is, am I listening to the entire word of God throughout all of human history? This word of God has sounded the, the, the hope of God's plan. Are we listening? So, Jonathan, finally, when an angel speaks, who listens? The experiences surrounding the birth of Jesus were filled with angelic messages. These messages calmed fears, quoted prophecies, gave instruction, provided encouragement, and instilled hope and courage into those heard those that heard them. We too can benefit in these same ways from those same messages. The question is, are we listening to the angels? Folks, we always talk about the birth of Jesus at this time of year, and we get inspired by it, and we look at it, and we appreciate it, and we love it, and it's a beautiful story, and we want to tell our children, we want to tell everybody. But the question is, are we really listening to the magnitude of what that birth began? This is an enormous world-changing event that once it started, it could not be stopped. Jesus was born, he died, he was raised to immortality, to divine nature, and now he is the lion of the tribe of Judah who comes to rule the earth. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback, any questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Next week, do I suffer from the rapture anxiety? Part three. Talk to you then. <laughs>